2 Kings chapter 3. There are 27 verses in this chapter. I want to begin with the first 10. And I want you to get your radar, GPS, in tune with the Holy Spirit. Because you don't have to leave here like an ordinary Sunday. I don't think we ever have an ordinary Sunday here. But just in case you think we do. Verse number 1, chapter 3. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And Jehoram reigned 12 years. And he, Jehoram, did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillars of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he, Jehoram, persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin. He, Jehoram, did not depart from them. Now, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered or summoned all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat king of Judah saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. Then he, the king of King Jehoshaphat, said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. We'll skip down to verse 16. But before we read it, let me give you the in-between. When these three kings found themselves in the wilderness with probably 150,000 soldiers on their way to battle, livestock, etc. with them, and realized they were as lost as four o'clock in the morning in darkness, they didn't know what to do. Somebody called out, is there a man of God in this army? Is there a prophet, a preacher, a chaplain? And there was. His name was Elisha. When they went to see him, to consult him about the mind of God for how to live and not die before he even go to the enemy, this is what he said in verse 16. And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. Thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And look at this. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites 
into your hand. Now, verse 16, I have underlined the last phrase for a reason. Here's how you're going to get out of your wilderness where you're lost now. You've been doing roundabout trying to get out of here for seven days and your men are weak, your animals on the verge of dying because there's no water. You got to make this valley full of ditches. It sounds crazy, but that's the way it is with God. You got certain ways that you suggest to him, and I do too, of how he could get us out of the mess we're in. And God almost always never goes by our advice. That's good about God. He says in order for you to get out of here, you got to dig ditches. So my question for you is, yeah, can you dig it? I know you're thinking I'm coming out of hippie generation. I ain't got hair like hippie. I'm asking you, can you dig it? Ask your neighbor. Go ahead. Do something, do something weird. Step out. Can you? Yeah. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Chad. Keep your Bibles open. I tend to get too elaborate in the introduction and not get to the meat. So let me see if I can give you the introduction. Keep your Bibles open here because this is your road map. Three kings are in confederacy. Alliance. Three kings against the king of Moab and his people. We start with King Jehoram. He is king over Israel, the southern kingdom. Followed by King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, the northern kingdom. Because by this time in Israel's history, the nation was divided into two kingdoms. What happens is that Jehoshaphat is righteous. Fears God. Jehoram is a son of a previous couple who were wicked as can be. That being Ahab and Jezebel. They were once rulers of Israel and they killed and maimed for whatever they wanted. Read about it sometime. They built idol gods and forsook the God of Israel. They built idols to fertility gods, so to speak, emphasizing human sexuality. And in the name of religion, they induced Israel to commit sexual promiscuity and called it worship. That's Ahab and Jezebel. Their son is Jehoram. And while he wasn't as bad as they were, he wasn't saved. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. I just got a little sin preacher. You are a sinner. And I don't mean that to be offensive. I'm just saying that God doesn't make exceptions for little or large. Got to get washed and cleansed from all our sins. Then you're saved. Now, 
when Ahab, the father of Jehoram, was alive, he levied a tax on the nation of Moab. Because he had fought them, they came against him, and fought them and subdued them, and said to them, we're going to let you live. But every year, King Misha of Moab, you've got to bring 100,000 lambs here to me and to my nation. And you've got to bring, that's verse 4, you've got to bring the wool of 100,000 rams. That's your taxes. They didn't have currency like we have now. Their taxes was livestock. That's a heavy tax. Every year, he's got to get shepherds and all kinds of people. And once a year, make a journey from Moab to Israel to pay a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand wool of rams to Ahab. Ahab dies. His son comes into power, Jehoram. And Misha of Moab used to pay the tax. said, I ain't paying no tax no more. That's it. Now, don't you get that idea? Okay. Because uh, <laughs> uh, Misha paid the price for not paying tax, and you and I are no exception. I guess taxes we'll have till we die. I hope not, but, but don't get the idea. I ain't paying taxes no more. And so Jehoram says, that man is going to pay his tax. But I can't go after him and the taxes by myself because there ain't enough of us. So he invited the righteous king, Jehoshaphat from Judah, to align with him. And he invited... An unrighteous king of another nation called Edom to line up with he and Jehoshaphat. And they put their three armies together. And they're going to go to Moab and collect the taxes. Jehoram says to Jehoshaphat and to the king of Edom, Now, I'm going to get my taxes. You get whatever else is remain. You'll get yours, I'll get mine, and then we'll celebrate. And so, there's a confederacy here. And as they head out, the Bible says that Jehoshaphat asked, which way will we go to fight against Moab? And verse 8 says that Jehoram says, we will go by the wilderness of Edom. And they started out by the wilderness of Edom. And look at verse 9, if you will. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that round about seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor was there for the animals that followed them. Look at verse 10. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. The first thing that sinful king Jehoram does is blame God for the mess they're in. They are in a wilderness now. And they have, if each king had 50,000 troops under his command to go to battle, there's about 150,000, and they may have more, of thirsty people who have been wandering for seven days in a roundabout kind of way like we husbands tend to do. And only when we're driving without our GPS and we go around and our wife says to us, says to us didn't we pass that sign before? Uh, roundabout, you know. Uh, uh, and we're going about 50 minutes and we, our pride and our ego and our macho-ness doesn't want us to confess that we are as lost as a golf ball in high weeds. And all we say is, I'm trying out a new route. <laughs> Do you know that we get in wildernesses without even leaving the house or being on the road? 
Let, let me talk to you about the wilderness for just a minute. The wilderness, as referred to in the days of, the, of this scripture and the context of this passage, isn't like the Daniel Boone wilderness that some of us may be thinking about now. Large trees and bears and deer and, and, deer and all kind of animal and go and live the, the, in the wilderness. No, it's kind of like what this PowerPoint looks like. Wilderness. Wilderness, therefore, would mean a dry place. Nothing green grows there. Wilderness would mean everything is brown and unappealing. It's brown and getting browner, if that's a word. Wilderness would be a, a place void of bright colors and barren. Can I get an amen if you're following what I'm saying? I'm saying wilderness would not only be that way geographically, but even in our walk with life and in life, even in life experiences, we can become a person in a wilderness or a rut without even going to the wilderness. Can I get another amen? We, we have places in our lives where, where we get into the same old grind and, and the wilderness can be a loss of passion, a loss of vision, a loss of direction. A wilderness can be places in our lives where we are empty and there seems to be pathless areas. We all get there. I don't want to be overly redundant here, but a wilderness is more than that. It can be a place where there is death and dying. A wilderness is a place where there is emptiness. You keep on living and you'll find that you can get there. I, I would have you acknowledge this. It's not on the screen. But there are no areas of our lives uh, that is safe from the wilderness ruts. Can I get an amen? You can get in a wilderness in your marriage. You can get a wilderness in your finances, in your career, and especially in your walk with God. I have been walking with God for some time now, and so have many of you. And without even trying, I find there are places in my life when I pray, and my prayer doesn't even get above my head. I find there are places in my life when I think that God may be a thousand or a million miles away. It's called a wilderness. God hasn't moved, and He's hearing my prayers, but just because of what life does, I'm in an empty and dry place. A wilderness can be the place like it was for Jesus. Because the Bible said after he was baptized by John the Baptist in the river Jordan, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And there for 40 days he was tempted of the devil while he fasted and didn't even drink food or water. And there the devil tempted him and tested him. That's what a wilderness can be like. And we all can get there. I have a question. Why were these three kings in the wilderness? When I answer this question through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and study, I find uh, uh, three reasons and maybe more than three reasons why these three kings were in the wilderness. And they are very much like the reasons why you and I get in the wilderness in areas of our lives. I will give it to you very plainly. Number one, they were in the wilderness because of their own foolishness. I wanted to be diplomatic about that. But I am here as living proof. That I have found myself in a wilderness at times because I thought more, I knew more than others who knew better. And you said amen because maybe you're the same way too. You know, mom and dad came off the ark with Noah. Bless God, I'm 19 years old and this is the me generation. Yeah. And I have, I have ended up in the wilderness because of foolish decisions, foolish friendships. Hanging around foolish people like Jehoshaphat found himself hanging around Jehoram and the king of Eden because of Edom because of the wrong choices. And we might as well go ahead and fess up. We have done some things that got us in a mess and God had nothing to do with it. These guys left to go fight the king of Moab. They forgot to put the GPS system on their camels. 
navigational system. No thinking about, well, we're going a different route now than the normal route to Edom. Because if they go to the normal route, pardon me, to Moab to fight that king, these three kings, then that king would expect them and their presence would precede them by way of the regular route. But they didn't make plans for it being a seven-day journey. They were in the wilderness like we are sometimes because they had exhausted all of their physical resources. Would you know the meaning of this term if I said you hang your hat where you can't reach it? You wouldn't know it? You wouldn't know it. I'll try something else. (laughs) Would you know this meaning of this term if I said to you, sometimes we overextend ourselves? Yes? Sometimes we make promises to people with good intentions of filling them, and we cannot, and we overextend ourselves, and we leave people high and dry in a wilderness. People have made promises to us with good intentions of showing up. And they overextended themselves. And now we have depleted our resources. Uh, I'm saying to you, it's kind of like they say, put it on the interest-only payment for the next four years. You don't have to make any payments till 2016. And boy, we're thinking, okay, I can live with that. By 2016, I will have paid it off and bought something else. But something else came along that you could pay off in 2017. And you signed that card. Something else came along and you could pay off in 2018. And now you got three stuff that you didn't pay off any one of them. And you have overextended yourself and, ex- and, and exhausted your resources. And now you're in the wilderness. If you wasn't shouting so loud, I'd preach better. But let me go on. <laughs> Why were these three kings in the wilderness? Because they failed to ask God's counsel before they stepped out. I'm telling you, it's quite like our human experience and my experience at time. I've been there, done that, know how that works, and I'll just go ahead and do it. You don't hear about any of these guys praying before they head out. We're going to fight a battle. We're in a wilderness. There's some, there's some lives at stake here. Fail to ask God's counsel. I go ahead and marry him. Ain't nobody been able to straighten him out. His own mother. Bless God, he's 35 years old, eating potato chips and sucking cigarettes and holding the remote and won't find a job. But bless God, when I marry him, it's God's, God's given me the assignment to fix him. Look like I'm mad? No, I'm just passionate. Because you drug him over here for me to fix him when you should have listened to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want my counseling time. I'm sicking him over to Pastor Jeff and I'm sending him over to the recovery house. I'm not playing that kind of game. I tell people that if you want us to do your marriage, we've got to have what's called premarital counseling. Man, I'm talking about, I'm talking about they're sitting right there, they're holding hands, exchanging sweat. And I'm saying, did you know you have to have a cage before you catch the bird? What's he talking about, cage and bird? I'm love her. I'm talking about, do you have an apartment or a house for this person to live in after you marry? Oh, love, we in love, we in love. I'm getting my therapy by using you. Thank you for helping me. You know, it's just like, God, I got this. Don't need you. Bills are being paid. Children are making pretty decent grade. Marriage going pretty good. My body's doing fine. Don't come to the house of God to get to worship God. 
to keep the blessing flowing. Don't give in the tithe and offering to keep the blessing flowing. Don't have fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ to keep the blessing flowing. Don't come to prayer meeting. Don't fast. Don't, don't sacrifice the, uh, some things and deny the flesh so we can keep the blessing flowing. You can't just keep passing up the gas station. There ain't a car in America invented yet where you can pass the gas station for a month and if you drive regularly your month to travel and still have fuel at the end of the month. You, oh, I'm preaching like a, like a man on fire. You got to pull up to the gas station and get some gasoline. You got to stay hooked up to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. A prayer life and the Word of God. So that when you end up in the wilderness, you don't have to say, God, do you remember me? That's what these guys did. They didn't ask God a thing. But now they're in a bind and they call for a a preacher. And here's what God does. You know, He is such a good God. Such a patient God. God likes to plant the answer we are going to need in our lives before the problem even comes our way. God told Elisha He must go with this army to Moab to fight Misha because I want you to be a soldier now, a chaplain. Elisha could have said, but God, I'm a prophet. I'm a teacher of prophets. I'm an, I, I, I'm an itinerant preacher. What I got any business in any army? I'm telling you what, if God told me to join the army, you all better pray for America. <laughs> but he went. Little did these three kings realize they're going to need a prophet. And so <laughs> they came to the man of God. And the man of God told them, in verse number 16, make this valley full of ditches. Now, there's some in between there I'll fill in just a minute. Get all the soldiers you can. Get all the shovels you can. Assign everybody a place in this desert and dig ditches. Now, how does that apply to you and I today? Let me give it to you. The principle of digging ditches in our lives... Is simply making room for God's provisions in our circumstances. Did you get that? Here is the bottom line. You prepare and God will provide. You do what God says, even if it seems outlandish and crazy and illogical. You prepare and God will provide. Now what do you mean? I mean this. I mean, Abraham was told by God to take his son Isaac, the promised son, and travel three-day journey. Take wood in your hand and take fire in some sort of container and go to what would eventually be called Mount Moriah and build an altar and put your boy in on that altar and kill him as an offering to God. And Abraham wrestled with that, though he doesn't speak a lot of it in the text. But he wrestled because we are humans. He thought, God, this is crazy. I've waited for this boy 25 years. My wife was barren. She was 90 years old when he was born. I was 100. This is the boy out of whom you said that my, uh, my legacy would come. You would give me so many sons and daughters after this. And so many grandchildren after this. That there will be so many of them that can't be counted like the stars can't be counted, nor the sand on the seashore. And now you're telling me to kill my boy. Abraham prepares. 
He travels three days. He takes the wood. He takes the fire. He builds the altar. He straps his son down on the altar. And he takes the knife whereby he is going to bring down the blade and thrust it in his son. And the Holy Spirit calls out. God's voice calls out and says, Abraham, do no harm to the child. For now I know you love me more than you love the boy. God wasn't after Isaac. God was after Abraham. And sometimes God will do that to us when things in our lives become idols and we give them more of our time and our affection than God. But Abraham prepared and God said, now there's a ram a few feet over caught in the thicket. You prepare and now I'll provide the sacrifice. Did you hear what I said? Do, Do I need to tell you that Joshua was told by God upon coming into the promised land? And facing Jericho with walls that were thick and high, dual walls, thick and high. And God said, I want you to get the particular people in the army, I tell you, and the musicians, I tell you, and the priests, and the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to go take Jericho like this. You prepare like this for six days. I want you to get all I tell you. Walk around the seven-acre city. One time each day. And then go back and do what you got to do the rest of the day. The second day. Get everybody up and walk around another time. On the seventh day, I want you to take that same crowd and walk around seven times. And when I tell you to shout and play the horns and the instruments yell and the walls will come down. Did God do it? I said, did uh, it looked foolish to the Israelites the first six days. It looked foolish to the people in Jericho. But God was saying, if you prepare, I will bring the walls down. Somebody clap your hands here. I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to tell you, Jesus, first recorded miracle of Jesus is at the wedding of Canaan Galilee when his mama said, Boy, son, it's a wedding. The feast is still going on and they have run out of wine. And Jesus said, it sounds disrespectful, he says, What have I to do with you, woman? It's not my time. Mom. What do you want me to do? She didn't argue with her boy. She just went to the disciples and said this. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Can you dig it? I thought so. Jesus said, how many vessels you got? Read about it sometime. John 2, not what I'm preaching. I'm yelling too much for you to be... uh, I got, we got six vessels. They each contain about 20 to 30 gallons of wine when they were full. Now they're empty. Jesus said, you prepare. Go fill every vessel, not just full, but the Bible says they filled it to the brim. Can I get a witness? And he offered a prayer. And then he said, pour out the wine. The master of ceremony made the comment after Jesus turned the water into wine. How come it is you brought the best wine for the last? <laughs> I got a little something going on in my head, I got to tell you. The, the, the Catholic priest, he, he was stopped by the police officer for weaving and traffic his car. 
police come over there. Father, how you doing? I'm doing good, son. And the officer saw a wine bottle in between the seat. And he said, Father, you been drinking? Oh, no, no, son. This is water. Uh, says, uh, Father, hand me that bottle. Police, it's wine. Say, Father, smell that. Oh, my son, it is wine. Good God, he went and done it again, didn't he? Turned the water into wine. I got Baptist jokes and Church of God jokes, so don't feel bad if you're Catholic. I, I pick on everybody. I don't know. See, when I do that stuff, I lose my whole anointing, but I'm going to get it back. We must know how to dig these ditches. What do I mean by ditches? How did they get their help? Number one, we inquire of the Lord. Don't you make a move to get married without first praying. Don't you make a move to take that other job without first praying. Don't you make a move to separate or leave that husband or wife without first praying. Can I get an amen? Before you go to the doctor and while you go, you ought to pray before you go. And while you're there, give me an amen somebody. I'm telling you that don't, don't you make any decisions because God has resources and wisdom and supply. He's just waiting for somebody when he said, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you don't know. They inquired of the Lord. How do you know it, Pastor? Look at verse 11. Everybody, look at your Bible. Verse 11, share with somebody if you're nearby. Verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here? That we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shapheth, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of God is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to meet Elijah. Elisha. Look, okay, let me pause a minute. Wow. Inquire of the Lord. I'm telling you, digging ditches mean that I need to pray a little harder. I need to read the Bible a little bit more. I need to get godly counsel from people full of the Holy Spirit. Inquire of the Lord. And I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, if you're willing to hear from God desperately enough, God will send you a prophet or speak to you directly. Inquire of the Lord. But now when they came to inquire of the Lord, Elisha didn't mix words. Because sometimes our answers are hindered because of our previous behavior. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse number 13. And then Elisha said to the king of Israel, this is Jehoram, the ungodly king of the threesome. He said, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them in the hands of Moab. Elisha is saying, Why am I even messing with you? It's your mother and father that brought generational curses on the rest of the people of God. Because they had prophets and preachers on their payroll that they were paying money to prophesy in their favor. You all didn't hear me. Ahab and Jezebel, the parents of Jehoram... When they wanted to look good and wanted everybody to think how good they are, they would make sure that their prophets are fed and paid so they could prophesy in accordance to their disobedience. What America needs this morning is not preachers on somebody else's payroll 
or some big giver or some group of people in the house of God who controls the money and the purse to tell them what to preach or what not to preach. Anybody hearing me? What America, what, what America needs is men and women of God who's got an iron rod for a backbone. Who's got iron in their blood. And they don't care what the devil thinks or the world thinks. They call sin, sin. And righteousness, righteousness. And say there is no gray areas. We need men and women of God who are not sold out by political correctness. But what? By thus saith the word of God. Somebody praise the Lord. Yes, come on and praise God. Yeah. We need some people who don't care whether you are Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, or Tea Party. I don't know whose side you're on, but I'm on God's side. God's my commander in chief. I respect President Obama, but God is the captain of my salvation. I respect the governor of Georgia, but God is my provider. Jesus is my Lord, and I'd rather go by His marching orders than anybody else's. Somebody praise Him. I didn't do this the first service, but that's okay. We got people in America called preachers who practice homosexuality. Who have children out of wedlock. Who cuss and swear and live like the devil and use the people's money in the church to get rich all the time. Telling them if you give ten, God will give you a thousand. That ain't in this book. They got people in America who, who are preachers in the pulpit of America who are ashamed and a disgrace to the kingdom of God. You shouldn't follow any of the such. I, I, I challenge you. To examine everything I say. I'm not saying I'm the most perfect. And I'm not saying God raised me up to judge anybody else. But I am a fruit inspector. You shall know them by their fruits. Don't come here telling me God says we shall not judge. What Bible are you reading? We must judge. How else would you know right from wrong? How else would you know dark from light? How else would you know a prophet from a false prophet? Read the Bible in context. We must judge. And we must judge righteous judgment. Yeah. This service about ready to go into overtime. Yeah. Yes, Holy Ghost. All I need is a few folks to say, Sick him, preacher, and we'll have revival. Yeah. I don't know whose banner you're reaching, marching under, but if you march under any other banner but Christ, you'll end up in a desert. I got to tell you, the man of God didn't mix words. This is how we need to preach. Look at the, look at the scripture. Look at, look at verse number 13. No, number 14. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives... Before whom I stand, surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you, nor see you. (laughs) Sammy and Everett, come just a minute. You guys are prayed up because I saw you pray. I can't use just anybody. (laughs) All right. It's going to be really. You're Jehoram. You knew I'd do that to you. You're Jehoshaphat. You're the righteous one. Okay, I, I know. Don't let him use that when he gets home. Just bring him down to size. 
king of Eden. Edom. Come, king of Edom. Yeah, yeah, come, come. I know. Just an illustration. The man of God. Come, man of God. Don't let him use that either, Tracy. Come. <laughs> this is the man of God. Just, just look at these, these three. Like you stand in position, okay? He's Elisha. And he says to this guy, Your mommy and daddy had lying preachers on the payroll. If it wasn't for this guy, the man of God, I wouldn't even give you the time of day. What are you saying? He's saying the reason you're going to get blessed is because of his righteousness. Some of us are sitting here this morning shouting, whoop glory, not because we've done any praying. Not because we've done any tithing and giving. Not because we've done any help any orphanage or children or visit the sick. Some of us are sitting here blessed this morning because some grandma, some grandpa, some preacher, some aunt, some uncle, somebody else burned the midnight oil so that you can have the power of God. We're living off of somebody else's righteousness. But it comes a day when you've got to have your own. So he said, I wouldn't even look. And then this guy, he didn't say nothing. Thank you, guys. You can, you can be seated. Now, here's what he said. I will, I will ask God, but here's what I must do. Look at verse 15. Look, look at this. You see, this is tucked away in the Bible. You probably don't even know this story. Maybe you do. Look at verse 15. Now, bring me a musician, the man of God says. Then it happened that when the musician played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Let let me tell you something. There is nothing that will help you dig ditches any better that in your wilderness and in your battlefield, you just find your place of worship and praise. My neck is still hurting, but I'm going to praise you. There's still a spot on the lung in the x-ray, but I'm going to put on some good gospel music. And I, I, I like the Gaithers music, okay? I know. I know you're thinking, alligators? No, the Gaithers. That's my generation, all right? They have sold more CDs and more music than any rock band in America. Did you hear me? Check it out. I like to put it in my car or put it in my prayer area because in my storm, in my wilderness, in my trial, it's like what Pastor Chad did a while ago with the choir. Get you an anointed musician. Can I get an amen? Get you a musician full of the Holy Ghost. Get, get, get you a music or a CD of somebody. And Elisha said, I want to go away from this camp. I want to go further in the wilderness. Give me a minstrel. Let me go over there and let him play a little bit. And he began to stroke the harp and the Holy Ghost began to rise up in Elisha as he said, God, I don't know what to tell these three kings, but I will worship you. I'll praise you and give me inspiration. Give me impartation. And it wasn't long after he heard the music and the presence of God came down. He said, now you can fade the music. I've got the Word of God. Let me tell you something. It can't just be any music. And it can't just be any CDs. Okay? Because there are people in the, in, in the Christian music world who ain't full of the Holy Ghost. They ain't even saved. They are cigarette-sucking, beer-sipping, wife-swapping, so-called singers. <laughs> I know you all came for a more dignified approach, but that's it. I'm a wild Indian today, and I just I have no apology, okay? All right? So, so let, me, let me tell you something. You know, in America, we got a standard for the choir and a standard for the minister. We got a standard for the music and a standard for the preacher. Uh, not, not in God's kingdom. If 
somebody is going to lead you in the presence of God or bring you the word, you better be sure that they are saved, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost like our brother is. And thank God for the power of praising God. Give the Lord some praise. God said, you dig the ditches, pray and praise. Here's number three. Fill our lives full of ditches. I'm trying to hurry. What do I mean by that? I mean, obey God. Elisha said, go tell these three kings. He went and told them himself, perhaps. Get your troops. I know they're thirsty. I know for days they haven't drunk water. I know you all thought you could make this journey in two days. And now it's seven days. And the animals are malnourished. The animals you brought for food and for the carrying the equipment, they are soon going to die. And the soldiers, their lips are parched. Their tongue is dry. They're dehydrated. And even though it seems foolish, tell them to fool the valley of ditches. Obey God whether you understand Him or not. Obey God whether you feel Him or see Him or not. Elisha, everybody's still with me. Say amen. Look at verse 16. I am hurrying. It says, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley will be filled with water, so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites in your hand. Here, here is the word. Here's the fourth and final word. Dig as deep as you want to receive. Anybody hearing me? I don't know how you came to church to dig this morning, but I sure ain't digging with no spoon. I got I to have a need for a bigger miracle than what the digging of a spoon can produce. I got me a spiritual shovel in my hand. Because write this down. The deeper you dig it, the fuller he will fill it. Y'all didn't hear me. If all you want is an ankle blessing, do you a ditch about as deep as an ankle? But if you want to be baptized in the blessing of God, get you a shovel, rent a back hole. Did anybody hear me? And dig, because the deeper you dig it, the fuller he will fill it. Somebody ought to clap your hand and give me a break. <laughs> you see i got to hurry and tell you, we need to provide a place for God in every area of our lives. Make this valley full of ditches. He didn't say just dig one ditch. That's the problem with the church. I'll go to one service. Bless God, if God don't help me, I ain't going back. One try, I'll give God one try. I'm going to put in one dollar. <laughs> yeah. You see, this ain't about your my comfort zone. This is about reality. That's how people think. I need a thousand dollar miracle. I'm going to put in one dollar. Bless God, you don't even give the waitress less than 10%. 1715. For fear that they will spit in your soup. <laughs> Come over here and give God one dollar and want Him to give you a thousand dollar miracle. 
One chance. I'm going to go to the prayer line one time. As if we could hold God hostage. You all didn't hear this bald-headed, handsome preacher. Bald-headed is true. The rest, I'm not anointed. Listen to me. This bunch of lay me down to sleep, namby-pamby praying. You, 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 you in the wilderness hard enough. Ain't nobody, you don't have to pull no poem down and pray it. You don't have to go on the internet and find some kind of somebody prayed a prayer five years ago and it's cute, cute and sweet. No, your baby's suffering. You don't need no Elisha or Elijah. You lay your hands. I'm trying to tell you, and you won't just pray. If your baby's sick enough, you won't just say one prayer. Did anybody hear me? If your marriage is burdened enough, you won't just come to one service. If your financial need is bad enough, you won't just tip God. You obey God because He will not reward thieves. He'll reward obedient people. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to tell you there's a path here. You prepare and God will provide. Come to the music. It always makes them think I'm getting ready to quit. Here's how the story ended. I don't have time to read it, but I'll tell you. The next day, verses 20, 21, after they dug the ditches, sunset, the next morning, every ditch was filled. Read your Bible when you have time. Everyone filled. There was no wind. There was no rain. There was no flash flood. There was no monsoon. How many know God's got water underground? How many ever heard of artesian well? If you got your own well, you know what I'm talking about. God don't have to have a plumber. He don't have to have a tsunami, a monsoon, or a hurricane. The next morning. Everybody say the next morning. Oh, every, every ditch was full. Can you dig it? Because if you can, you'll fill it. Look at this. On my way to church this morning. At 6.52, the sun was coming over the horizon. The clouds come compressing. The, the, the clouds reflected the arriving of the sunrise. It was red. Sammy and Deanna followed me not long after that. So did command, uh, Officer Kirk. They saw the same thing. The red of the sunrise reflected off the cloud. Almost like you see here. That happened that day when the ditches were filled. The Bible says this. The ditches looked like they were red as blood red. God caused the king of Moab to make him think that the three kings, Jehoram, the king of Edom, and Jehoshaphat, had turned on themselves before they got to fight him. God made the king Misha think maybe that one of those kings got greedy and wanted all and to kill them, themselves and to kill all their troops. And now there is a lake of blood because the sunrise reflecting off of the full ditches. And Moab told his army, let's go get the spoils only to get there. And God raised up all the three armies and destroyed the people of Moab. Not only did God give them water to drink, God gave them more than the taxes that they were due and blessed them as only God can bless. When you dig the ditches, and I'm trying, let me tell you, when you do what God says, 
He won't just give you water for today. He will give you wells springing up into everlasting life. When God gives you money to pay your bills, if you've been faithful, He'll not just pay your bills. He'll help you get out of debt. When God heals the spot on the lungs, He'll make sure that there is no cancer in the whole system. Because God doesn't just bless. He blesses good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Say amen. amen. Stand up please, would you? Oh, my, my, my. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to keep you over time. I already went over time, didn't I? Nah, you're kind. Thank you. Uh, listen to this. I want you, you're going to leave like you came unless you practice the word. I practice the word. I'm going to belabor you. But here's what I want you to practice with me. In a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray over whatever ditch you need to dig. You might need to dig a ditch in your marriage situation. So that God will fill that marriage with love, peace, joy, and forgiveness. You may need to dig a ditch in your mind. Because you have panic attacks, anxiety, and fear that comes not from God. Because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. You may need to dig a ditch in a relationship. As Pastor Jeff alluded to in his remarks prior to prayer. And there may need to be that surrender to asking forgiveness or making an apology. But if you'll dig it, God will fill it. Can I get a witness? You, you, you know where I'm going. I don't need to re-preach. You may want to see your son saved, your daughter saved, your mom, your dad saved. You may, you may have an addiction of, of some kind. And they are numerous. But if you'll keep praying, keep praising, keep serving, keep believing, keep giving, keep digging, the deeper you dig it, the fuller you'll fill it. We're going to pray over you as, as a group. And then we're going to worship. And so, Brother Sammy, I'm going to ask your team of altar intercessors and workers to do what i like you to do on Sundays. And just come stand at the front. But I'm not going to invite anybody to come just yet. I want to offer a prayer. Then, when you, when, after we've prayed, whatever need you have and you want special prayer, they are here. Bow your heads for a moment. Here's the invitation. Pastor, I am one of those who are, I am only a friend of God in the bad times when I need him I use God and I don't have a relationship with him and that must change pastor because I cannot expect to receive if I don't give pray that I would return to God not out of duty but out of love I need the Lord I need to go deeper pastor I need to go deeper with God before I dig ditches for anything else I need God raise your hands if that's you raise it up if it's you hold it up only I and you that's it. Nobody else looking. Numbers. Numbers of hands. Put them down. Thank you. And now, Pastor, there's another kind of area I need to dig for so that God can fill it up. And God knows what that is. Raise your hands. Something else? Now, both hands. Now, look at me, everybody. Now, look at me, everybody. Use this posture. Step out of your comfort zone. Look up to the Lord. Either close your eyes or open it. And for the next 20, 30 seconds, tell Him what you need for him to do right now just vocalize it enough for you to hear yourself talk come on come on just say god i'm in this wilderness tell him where the wilderness is tell him what it is i'm in the wilderness of fear go ahead say, say it out to yourself i'm in the wilderness of finances i'm in the wilderness of backsliding there's an addiction there's an attitude 
there's a lost. Oh God, I'm digging some ditches now and asking you to deliver me. I pray for my spouse. Do that in Jesus' name. I pray for my grandson, my granddaughter. Come on, come on. You got to vocalize it. Oh God, I, I, I pray over my job. I, I pray, oh God, over my body I need to be healed. Come on, come on, raise those hands, raise those hands. I believe you, God. I'm digging some ditches by praising you, and I'm asking you to have your way. Forgive me for telling you how to do it. Forgive me for blaming you. Somebody say amen. Forgive me for getting mad at you. Forgive me, God, for blaming the church. It's me, oh God. I need your help. And I can dig because I know you'll fill it. Now thank him. Now praise him. Now thank him and praise him. Come on.